we believe that true success in every domain of life and work begins with a vision and a plan. I'm Michael Counts. And I'm Sarah Ellis Conant, and we are the founders of A Plan Coaching. And you're listening to All You Need is a Plan. A podcast that explores how we can get the most out of life and work in the midst of more and more complicated and challenging times. Each week, we'll bring you guests who represent success stories at companies and organizations of all shapes and sizes, as well as thought leaders at the forefront of business and the wellness economy. So the purpose of this podcast is to share and explore stories of personal and organizational achievement, ranging from how a company can change its culture and transform into the next phase of its evolution and succeed in new ways, to how a filmmaker can have a vision for a new project and realize it despite all the complexities, challenges, and difficulties that stand in the way. To how two creative partners can build a business and become an award-winning architectural firm, and how a new mom can see a need and launch a small nonprofit that grows into one of the largest diaper banks in the U.S., and many more. Knowing that achievement is really an inside job, we'll look at how habits are formed and obstacles overcome, how organizational systems are put together, and how goals are set and explained, how successful teams are structured and managed, how people are supported to bring their best, and how challenges to team and group dynamics are mitigated so that the toxicity that can sometimes exist in a culture doesn't rule the day. So in this podcast, all you need is a plan. We're going to explore how things get done, big and small, in companies and organizations of all shapes and sizes, and the role that coaching and other tools have in supporting the achievement of individual and organizational goals. With that in mind, let's get to it. For the last couple of years, uh, A-Plan has been doing consulting work for uh, a major Fortune 100 company. Um, and, and it was interesting. While we were working with them, I was interacting with their head of customer experience. And he was describing the way that they wanted to position themselves relative to their customers and the world. And, and they were working on this line. And the line went something like, blank is a trusted partner helping you navigate a changing world. And, and I kind of laughed to myself and I thought, that's interesting. My trusted partner, partners that help me navigate my changing world are very specifically my manager and my management team and my coach. On our pilot episode, you met my coach and my business partner, um, but it is a thrill and a pleasure to introduce uh, on the podcast today, the team, Michael and Rashan, who have been my manager for the last... I don't know how long, guys, six, seven years. Um, and, and, and they are a unique, they would call me a unique, a unique bird, and they too are, are quite unique birds in that they are managers. Um, they have a new book that has just come out on HarperCollins called Game Changer, and I'll let them really get into that. But um, these are two guys who came, who have been working together for years. Um, they started out as, as entrepreneurs in high school, um, grew into being uh, managers in the music business. And then as the music business changed, they became managers and brought that business model into the tech world and managed now tech talent and coders. And, and I don't know, you guys can explain all the details and how and you crazy entrepreneurs, and crazy, <laughs> crazy entrepreneurs. Um, and, and, and they, uh, they're really at the forefront, I think of, of, of some of the kind of thought leadership around performance and wellness and what it takes to manage talent in a world where talent is the whole game, I think. Um, and, and managing human capital uh, is just a critical part of every business and endeavor. 
So um, with that, guys, I'm going to step back. I don't want to butcher it anymore, but like, I'd love for you to share um, uh, from both your perspectives your journey, because I think it's so relevant to to your view of and position within this world of of talent management and performance and the wellness economy. So with that, Michael Solomon, Rashawn Blumberg. Hello. Um, so I guess this is a, a, the opportunity or the moment where we get to talk about our, our background and ourselves, which is my least favorite thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'd much rather talk about you and the other people that we have worked with over time. Um, in short, we've been doing artist management in the music industry for 25 years, um, almost, yeah, we're rounding the corner toward 26. And what we saw there was um, an established practice that had been tried and true in the music industry and in the entertainment industry and the sports industry. And it, it was great. Like we had a, we've had a great run. We've worked with people like John Mayer and Vanessa Carlton and Citizen Cope and lots of, lots of awesome peace people. But as the music industry sort of got completely disrupted by technology, we looked at each other and said, um, we may need to supplement our income with other sources. And ultimately in those crisis moments, you sort of start grasping at straws, or if you're me, you throw out a ton of ideas. And if you're Rashan, you throw away most of those ideas. And when we work well together, you get left with something that you can you can do. And the idea was to manage tech talent um, and manage other kinds of talent. And it worked. Um, and we got very lucky. And really what ended up happening as a result of that was we got to work with people like you, Michael, and th this tech talent and this musical talent and some directorial talent and all of these different people across many different industries in a way that I don't know that any other individuals or at least any other small companies have done. And we got to see what the people had in common. And that was the, sort of the genesis of writing this book and wanting to share these insights because we looked around the world and all of a sudden talent is everything. Um, the, the companies that are doing the best in the world and, and you know we know who they are at this moment in time, they're all relying on extreme talent that they pay huge premiums for and they know and, and they just keep investing in it so i think that's a quick intro along the way we've you know co-founded a bunch of nonprofits as well that we're very passionate about rashan you should add in anything i'm leaving out well i'm going to add the prequel so that was like the main movie this is the prequel to the movie which is that we've known each other since uh third grade we started uh attending the same school in third grade um, attended the same school through eighth grade, but remained very good friends. So in addition to having worked together professionally for 25 years, we've known each other for 42 years, I think, um, <clears throat> which has been, uh, you know, it's given us a great shorthand in how to deal with each other. You know, partnerships, we're big proponents of partnerships. And I actually think that the coaching coached, um, menti whatever relationship is very similar to this kind of a partnership um so you know it's been an interesting journey we've traveled through many different types of careers um starting with the music business um well you know starting, starting with illegal businesses like fake starting ID. with with businesses fake that. ids guys come on <laughs> right so there was a moment of fake ids and also throwing uh parties and keg, keg parties in high school you know you we, know, I, we have looked up the statute of limitations is up on all these things. We can talk about it freely. Yeah. So, you know, we, we were definitely doing entrepreneurial things, some legal, some questionably legal when we were much younger. But I think that, you know, we really solidified our, our adult career in the music business, 
what Michael sort of tied up nicely in a bow is that we have transitioned, not transitioned, but added to the Tableau 10x management and, and representation within tech. But the reality is there were multiple different entrepreneurial ventures between starting uh, brick wall management in the entertainment industry and then ending up at 10x management in the tech industry. Um, so it was a lot of trial and error and 10x definitely felt like the one that made the most sense. And so we sort of went all in on that. Um, and that, yeah, that brings us to today. We, we wrote this book, uh, which came out in September called Game Changer, How to Be 10x in the Talent Economy, which does a, sort of a mini case study um, on A-Plan and with A-Plan. Um, and with Sarah yeah. and with Michael. So Yeah. That's us. Oh, we're both born and raised in New York City. Michael, are you also born and raised in New York City? Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, three strong. Strong. New York boys. <laughs> Michael and I went to high school like three blocks away from each other. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I love your story, guys. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I wish I had gone, I wish I'd like not gone to the schools that I went to, went to your school and we, we had all been pals because I think, I mean, what, what could the three of us have done if we had 42 years of history? Um, I mean, because we've done pretty well with like six or seven years of history. So I can only imagine. Um, but Didn't your school and my school combine our high schools. I think they've merged. Lennox and New Lincoln, or in oh no, Birch, Birch and Lennox. I think Birch and Lennox merged, and now they're in the old New Lincoln space on Seventy Seventh Street. But I want to I want to circle back to something that you said, Michael, because I think it's really it's it to me it's important. It's at the it's at the core of your book, and I think it's at the core of what we're doing with a plan. And you said that 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 talent is driving successful companies. And you said that companies pay a huge premium for that talent. And I just wanted to, to point out that I think that at a, there was a time when, when executives would have said and people looking at industries would have said, and that means pay cash. And, and I think that that's still important, of course. But I think that, that so many companies, and I think the most successful ones that we could point to, are paying in multiple ways. They're not, it's not just about the paycheck right anymore. It's about what's the culture of the company? How are the people, how is the talent being nurtured? How are they growing? Um, like why does Google spend what it does on, on all the extra bells and whistles that they provide to their employees um, like across the company? And, and so I'd be interested to hear your take on, on, on that. And also maybe that's a way into really what's the thesis of the book? I mean, I, I think you've alluded to it, but like let's go into a little more detail like, what does it take to manage talent in, 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 in this economy? You know, so Michael alluded to this when he was talking about the various companies we started, but the through line is protecting and representing talent and helping to make their dreams and, and fulfill their, their, you know, goals and expectations. Um, and I think what we talk about in the book, if there's a, a real thesis statement for the book, it's that in the new economy and the future economy, you have to think of the people that work on your, at your company as talent and simply reframing that idea of not an employee, but talent, somebody who is uh, unique, um, who delivers something that others can't, um, who needs to be treated with respect and dignity, much the way you see, you know, athletes are sort of coddled and catered to not in a... Um, diva-like kind of way, but in a, you know, how can we make this environment most hospitable for you? That I would say is the summation of the book. And it's broken down into two parts. The first part is about what companies need to do to really make their environment more hospitable 
to the kinds of high performers, the 10Xers, um, that are going to help take their company um, through to the next century. They're going to iterate. They're going to develop the technology, maintain the technology. And if you don't treat those people and treat everybody who works at your company with that kind of dignity and respect and individualism, you're going to uh, lose them out to competitors because your competitors are treating people that way. Um, and then the other half of the book is really about what individuals can do to push themselves down that 10x spectrum towards the level of 10xness. Um, not every person can be 10x because a 10xer is a very unique entity, but people can improve themselves um, by you know doing a variety of different things. A lot of them we talk about in the book and they're prescriptive in the book, but that's essentially what the thesis of the book is about. When you're doing more with less, talent is of, of the utmost important importance and how do you deal with that talent how do you make the world better for them and they in turn make it better for you and going back to the other half of the question the companies that sort of initiated this kind of thinking about talent and treating people differently had a very basic thesis which was science tells us and data tells us how people, how human beings perform best. So we learn, we we know it's not rocket science that humans don't perform when well. They perform well when they're tired. So they put nap pods into the office so that people could take a nap, which seemed counterintuitive. Most people in the in the corporate world were like, "That's ridiculous." They are coddling those people, but that wasn't what it was about. And then they added things like coaching, and they added things like gyms, and they added all of these perks to really help these 10Xers, these people who have choices about where to go and where to work and what to do and how to spend their time to make them better. And one of the things that's so key about being a 10Xer is that you're a lifelong learner and you want feedback and you want to improve. And there are few better ways outside of a, a third party, an independent third party, whether it's a manager or, or a coach, to get that feedback. So that you have somebody seeing in you what you can't see for yourself and providing you the tools to improve. And that's why I, I think that, you know, this is, I don't mean to be too on the nose about, about a plan and as it, as it relates to, to the book, but half of what we talk about is the third party effect of people who are not you being able to, to represent you and skin in the game, somebody who's vested in your, in your growth and your success and having that third that that independent relatively objective perspective so you know these things dovetail so well together and we we talk extensively about the fact that yeah we we talk about it as a manager or even a manager in a company but a coach uh, we even mention rabbis and priests and like there's a lot of people that can play these roles but you know what uh, just just really quickly i think it it's it goes beyond perks as well you know I think that 10Xers and certainly Gen Z and millennials, they really are purpose-driven, right? They want to work at places that align with their philosophy of the world. Um, and while I think the argument can be made that technology perhaps net-net is uh, maybe a negative in the world, I think then when you drill down into individual companies and their purpose and their mandate, they're trying to do something positive in the world. Um, and I think that mission and that purpose aligns very closely with what 10Xers want. Um, and I think that that's another thing we talk about in the book is that companies really have to understand who they are and what their purpose is so that they can message that down through the culture of their company to the new hires that they might want to attract 
Um, so I think it, it goes beyond perks. Definitely. I mean, I, I think, I mean, you know, guys, like part of, for me, a plan, and I think our founding, and if you look, you know, if listeners, if you look on our website, our origin story, um, and we were started by me and my partner, Sarah, who is my coach for the better part of the last 20 years. And, and I think what I discovered through the process of having a coach and then eventually a manager was that, and I was, I mean, if you look also at the, the backstory of my career, like I was a director, designer, artist, you know, sort of high level creative consultant and, and, and a lot of things that, that were, that kind of came as byproducts of that creativity were, were kind of destructive in, in certain ways. And, and I think that, you know, there, there's, we've all heard of people who are highly creative, either burning out or, or really being self-sabotaging in one or more ways. And I think that that's, that's as common as creativity. I think to me, the process of getting all the systems in line and working together was at least on my, from my personal journey, part of becoming way more productive and and you will use the word fulfillment like way more fulfilled in my life and what was interesting was that that wasn't from working harder like i became a, a much much more creative much higher performer much more productive when i started focusing on the other things the the wellness making sure that i was getting enough sleep that i was exercising that i was managing the other aspects of my quote unquote personal life in a way that allowed me to get more done in less time in my professional life. And, and I think that, you know, I mean, that's so much what we're trying to do at a plan. And I think what coaching has done for me, and I see it happen with all of our clients across the board, but it's interesting to see companies investing in it. And you guys talk about it in the book, you know, companies investing in these things that have a significant ROI, but sometimes have historically been framed as kind of, touchy feely, you know, or, or, or soft or, yeah. Or a circuitous route to that ROI. Um, and you know, one of the things that, one of the themes in the book is that you have to think about your employees and the people that you represent and you manage as whole people with whole lives. And that you can't just be like, I don't care that you're in the middle of a divorce. That's your problem. I want this on my desk at three 30. That doesn't work. That just like that maybe worked in the past. I guess that did work in the past. It does not work not with 10Xers, not with Gen Z, not with millennials, like at all. I, I use the analogy of the movie office space. Like that's the old way of work. You know, get the TPS reports on my desk by Monday. And by the way, you have to come in on the weekend as well. And I don't really know who you are. That kind of management style, that's, that doesn't work anymore in this new world. And frankly, one of my favorite things about A-Plan coaching in particular, not just coaching as a concept, but A-Plan is the idea that we allow, actually require that the the um, the the coach the 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 person being coached gets to set some goals that are not professional. Like the the employer can set a few goals, but the person, the individual, gets to set some goals that relate to their lives. Because if you can't fix the problems that are dragging down your personal life, if that's what's going on, you're not going to fix your work problems either. And that is a as a principle to me is such a, a giant leap forward in terms of coaching as a concept because there's so much coaching where it's either punitive like you, you you're you have a problem with how you speak to people so you're gonna you know you, you got to do x y and z that's not 
That's not what coaching is supposed to be. Yes, there's opportunities to course correct, but that's not the intent of the idea of coaching, at least not from my perspective. We talked about it a lot in the pilot episode with with Sarah, um, and 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 how how our vision was created, and how our operating plan, and how our methodology of coaching was was established and developed and refined, and it is the antithesis of that that coaching as a corrective punitive measure, an extension of management to like fix you and which is 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 the least sticky, the least positive, the least engaging thing I can imagine. Whereas when I think people feel invested in that that their employer, their manager, the company they're with, like really sees them as a whole person, sees them as someone worthy of investing in. Is I think it just changes the the paradigm, and we I mean we see it with companies that we're working with staying on for years, you know, starting with a three month engagement and then being in for three years later, saying like oh yeah we're and signing up through the rest of 2021 because they know that this is a an ongoing benefit that that has you know a a, a significant ROI and and helps people grow and helps the companies thrive, you know why do you think there are still companies that don't get that. Like what, what is, I mean, you're, you guys are either on the front lines, like you're, you're talking to these companies representing talent. What, what is it that, like, how are some of those ideas of the old way still dug in? Um, kind of the same reason that, that, you know, up until a global pandemic changed it, a lot of people didn't believe in remote work. They didn't think it was possible to let somebody work from home. Like, I can't do that. I need to see them doing their work. I mean, there's a lot of old school bosses out there, old school managers and and leaders who don't, they don't know what they're missing out on. I mean, to be honest, this is part of the reason we wrote the book. We were trying to help people sort of take that step. Um, and Rashawn, maybe you want to jump in here, but well, take- I, I was, yeah, I was just going to say like, there are some differences in different verticals. Um, you know, we use technology as the backdrop in the book, and that's intentional because the efficiency created by technology allows companies to do more with fewer people. So it's not a matter of, you know, uh, we use the comparison of Netflix to Blockbuster. Blockbuster had, you know, 50,000 plus employees um, at its height and was, you know, making less money overall than Netflix is making currently with, you know, a tenth of that um that that headcount when you have fifty thousand people at a company, it's it's very difficult to be bespoke or or personalized with a lot of things. It's a lot of bodies, right? But when you've got a smaller group of people who are providing exponential value for that company, um, you really have to think of them as talent. They're like the LeBron Jameses, and you can't treat LeBron James. You know, you can't just brush him aside or not care about LeBron James because. LeBron James will A, go somewhere else, and LeBron James is just too valuable to an organization to dismiss. So there are still some structural issues, I think, in some verticals um, that make it more difficult. That said, I think that you know we're with every decade, we gain more awareness of who we are as, as a society and how people perform better. Again, Michael was talking about data earlier. You know, this data is beginning to seep into other areas. So the more people understand that treating people like a human, treating people with flexibility and kindness and empathy will get you that ROI, the faster we'll, we'll see these changes uh, take hold in the marketplace. And that, again, that was the reason we wrote the book. I, I also think that 
there's a, a misnomer or, or, or what what's now a misnomer about the cost of coaching. And, you know, this is one of the, again, one of the things that a plan has really innovated on, but it used to be something that became available for C-suite executives um, who were at least progressive enough to think, oh, maybe I could benefit from this. Um, now, and part of what I, you know, I think we've seen with a plan is it, it might start out with somebody there and then all of a sudden they're instantly like, well, we can afford this for the next year down. And then that, that, that's sort of so successful that all of a sudden the, the next year down is also being brought in. And it just became really amazing to see that this is now something that lots of companies can, can afford. I mean, I know, um, you know, I know a plan intimately enough from, from doing interviews and having conversations that there's, you know, 12 person com companies where they're having every, every member of their team coached. Yeah. I mean, and what's interesting too, is that, that there are 10,000 person companies that we're starting to work with that are really envisioning and, and starting to talk very specifically about how how broad can it go? I think in their desire would be if they could afford it to bring it to everybody. And I think that that's, you know, our, our tagline is quite literally coaching for everyone. And we really mean everyone, like everyone will perform. If you want to retain your people and get everyone performing at the best of their their ability, like give them the resources to do that. Maybe it doesn't look the same for everybody along the org chart, but, but give them those tools and that means of support because it is unique. I mean, what we have found is that it's not an intervention. It's not a, a one-time thing. It's not a workshop. People change and habits change when they're nurtured over time. And that, that, that has been my experience 100%. But I think we're seeing it again and again with the companies we work with that, you know, it's like, it's like I've often said when we're talking about, you know, what do we do and why does it work? It's like giving someone a gym membership does not get them in shape. You know, and, and, and it's, and it's, and, and it's, and then for a lot of people, it's hard to create that habit and create that routine and maintain that structure, um, and change their behavior without this ongoing support of, um, you know, of an external resource. Yeah. I mean, we, we dedicate an entire chapter and, and more to this concept. We don't specifically call out coaching alone. We, we talk about a variety of other things, but if you have somebody in your life, we sort of, this goes under Michael, the skin in the game is what I'm thinking of the chapter. Um, if you have somebody in your life that is vested in seeing you improve and do better and is a partner in that way to you, that really makes a huge difference in helping push you down this 10X spectrum in, into being a better performer. Like it is very difficult and very few people can really sort of optimize themselves without out external input or support. Um, so I think coaching is is a vast part of what the future economy requires because there's just too much. We deal with too much sensory input on a daily basis now. We need somebody that we can bounce it off of. And I'm not talking about a spouse. Like it's you don't want to put this this stuff on a wife or a husband or your kids. You know, you want to have somebody who can ride that professional and personal line with you, personal development and professional development. It's crucial. It's vital. One of the things that 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 always in in one of my first meetings with Sarah, when she was explaining what coaching was, it, it was and it struck me as so unique. She said, "We said a coach is is a, is a, is a, is an objective third party thought partner, a a someone that doesn't come with an agenda, 
and what she pointed out, and I've now observed it in my life and in the lives of, of many of our clients, like everyone in my life, my wife, my kids, my family, my friends, it may be, it may be a, a loving agenda, but it's an agenda. And sometimes giving, you know, sharing frankly about the things that I want may be inconsistent with those agendas. You know, having a resource, a thought partner that really only wants my success for me to figure out what is right for me. That is a unique um, perspective. And, and well, I, I actually think they do have an agenda. Their agenda, unlike everybody else you talked about in your life, is to help you achieve the goals that you want to achieve and help guide you and, and be a partner in that. That's their agenda. Who else in your life has that agenda? No one, right? I mean, I suppose maybe a therapist, sure, if you're seeing a therapist, uh, you know, maybe you could use that interchangeably therapist coach. But uh, that's the agenda is to help you to achieve your dreams and goals and improve. It's, it's great. So I actually think coaches do have an agenda, but their agenda, unlike the other people you were talking about in your life, is really to help you optimize who you are, self-improvement, professionally and personally, you know, and nobody else in your life has that kind of agenda, right? I mean, your family, sure, they want great things for you, but they're not tied into both parts of it. And they have their own issues that they have to worry about. A coach should focus solely on you and your goals and grow with you. So I think that there is an agenda there. And, and it's an agenda that is, is so vital because we're taking in so much different stimuli, um, both at work personally and professionally, social media, which is a nightmare. And you need somebody to bounce that stuff off of um, or else you kind of go crazy. So I, you know, I think a coach, a therapist, somebody that is in your life that can help give you that third party perspective and point of view is just, it's so vital and important. You know, I think the, 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 the other thing I want to add is it's, you know, somehow there's a perception that like the people at the top of the company don't need this. Um, and ironically, it's, it's everybody needs this. We, you know, we, what do we do for a living? We manage people's careers, but we still have our own coach advisor who gives us the guidance. And you know what he has? He has a coach and an advisor who gives him guidance. And I'm assuming that person does as well. And, you know, there was a, there was a moment on a Springsteen tour where there's Going to is going to seem like it's really off topic, but it's going to come back around. And the tour director was hiring a massage therapist, and he asked this person he was interviewing, "When was the last time you got a massage?" The person says, "Oh, I haven't had time. I haven't." He he didn't hire that person because you got to drink the Kool Aid. Like if you believe in coaching and you're a good coach, you know you need a coach. Therapists all good ones have therapists. I mean, this is part of the whole, the whole process. I've never had a massage, by the way, just to throw that out there. <laughs> never. And, and, and to, to your point, Michael, one of the things that we do, um, I mean, one in our vetting process of coaches, they have to be walking their talk. And also we have to walk our talk and we provide coaching for all of our coaches. And many of them have their own coach that they've had for years and years and years, but we give them an internal A plan coach because as you guys know, our method is not, we don't believe that a coach is a coach is a coach. Like we have a specific method, we have specific tools, we have a specific point of view and, and ideas that underpin that method. And we want to make sure that everybody, everyone who's working with us has the benefit of really understanding that from both sides. Um, and you, you guys in your book, I love that you talk about the, um, the double hat 
you know, sort of perspective. And I think that, that we share that with you. Yeah, that, that perspective for the listener is basically that you're able to inhabit the other side. So if you're the talent, you're able to understand what it means to be management and to be managed and to manage others. Um, because if you don't understand both sides of that equation, you really, you know, you're only getting half the perspective and you're only under, understanding half the perspective. And the reality is that we both have to wear these hats. Um, I'm not a professional coach, but there are definitely people in my life that I would say I give coaching elements to. Um, you know, they say it takes a, a village or a community to raise a child. I think that the reality is it takes a community to be a human um, and to be an adult. And that coaching community where you coach somebody, they coach somebody else, and you're coached by somebody, that's all, you know, that's the community. Are you suggesting that you're an adult? I'm trying to be. Okay. I play one on TV. Yeah. My, my, my wife, Sharon, used to call that my pit crew. It was like the, 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 the team that kept me on the road. <laughs> yeah, I like it. That's a, great, that's a great way to describe that. It really is. It really is. And you know, it's funny, you know, throughout this conversation, I was, uh, something you said earlier made me think of, of being a, a young person. And I remember someone saying to me, and I, I don't know if it was there, they were cynical or it was the time, but I remember someone saying, ah, people don't change. And I kind of was like, I guess so. And, and I remember thinking like change, it, it is hard, you know, change is hard. It's become easier. I've found having a pit crew, you know, having a coach, having a manager, having other people in my life that are really vested in my success. And, and even with all that, it's hard. Um, you know, I think, I think, I think that what you guys have really tapped into is, is an articulated in a way that I think is really critical for right now is that helping people grow and change and become the next version of themselves, become an improved version of themselves. Cause so much comes out of that. That is, that is, you know, additional to just the growth itself. I think that there's a, there's a ton of value for companies and for people and for teams and for people's fulfillment in their own lives and, and for the broader community of the world at large that like, if everyone's playing their a game, you know, to use our own terminology, like the world's a better place. In in trying to describe the, the 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 meaning of life, I sort of came up with at some point because I it was one of those like oh what's the meaning of life you got I, well I've got to come up with something all I all I got to was closing the distance between who you are and who you want to be, and coaching is such a good way to do that, and I I'm a personal professional development junkie, as Rashan knows, um, which has taken me to some very interesting places that we don't necessarily have to get into today. Um, but I've, I've been exposed to a lot of this stuff. And I actually think, for me, that statement that you made of somebody saying people don't really change, I think that actually Rashan more or less subscribes to a healthy dose of that, but not completely. But when I was about, I don't know, 11, I had a really good friend named Alex Williams, who said, you know what I love about you? If you don't like something about yourself, you just change it. I don't think that was true at the time at all. Like it didn't resonate with me in any way, shape or form, but just the power of suggestion about that, I think is actually what set me on this journey of, of just continuing to look at how can I make myself better? And I will tell you that time and money and other investment in, in myself is the best investment anybody can make for themselves. Like it's just, you get happier, you get better, you get, it, it pays dividends. I, look, I, I don't think that people don't change, but I do think that 
who a person fundamentally is carries through their whole life. But I think that people's lives change. I don't want to say with every decade, but I've certainly felt a progression of change from, you know, getting out of college, starting a career, getting married, starting a family, you know, aging with a family, advancing in a career, like all of these things are the natural progression and the flow of life. So I think that there's a natural flow, whether you have outside coaching or therapy, um, but there, and there's some people who I think, and I, I feel like I'm one of these people who sort of is a fairly even keeled kind of person. I don't have high highs. I don't have low lows. And I think that's sort of a genetic predisposition to that. But there are other people that have extreme emotional, um, you know, dichotomies and, and they have to deal with that. We've and managed with a that few internally. of them over the years. We've managed a few of them over the years. But dealing with that internally by yourself is incredibly hard. I, I don't even think that it can be done. So, you know, I think that different people require different levels of coaching and pit crew. They, they need a different level of pit crew. Um, some people need a pit crew of one and some people need a pit crew of 10. But um, yeah, so I, I think there's a natural ebb and flow to how people change. I, I have an 18-year-old son and I can tell you without a doubt that the person he is right now is not who he's going to be in 10, 15 years. Um, some of those elements will still be there. But some of the other elements won't. That's really profound, isn't it? <laughs> Yet true. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll say something quickly and then, Michael, you can jump in. So we've never really been the talent before, right? And we've put this book out. And it's the first time I feel like I've actually walked in the shoes of the people that I've worked with for all these years where you spend, I don't know, what did we spend? Two plus years working on this, this project. And you put this out in the world and sometimes you get nothing back. Sometimes you get huge accolades. Sometimes you get torn down and sometimes you get nothing, right? You've spent all this time, your, your energy, your inspiration, and it's a roller coaster, right? So I think that there's an element of, of that that uh, that does create an additional sort of heightened sense of drama, perhaps, with creative types, where you're putting your soul on the line for something, and maybe you get nothing back. How horrible is that? Like, I'd almost rather get horrible comments or accolades than get nothing. So you've got this spectrum of emotions you go through, and probably emotions that you know we went through during the process of putting this work out. So I think that there's a lot more at stake. When you are a creative type, um, you know, if, if you're working at a company and you make a mistake, okay, you make a mistake, you're part of a team perhaps, or, you know, you have other people that you can go to and turn to as an individual contributor or as an individual creative type, which I think creative types, whether they're in a band or uh, actor or a part of a troupe, it's all individual contributions at the end of the day. Like that's a, a very heavy weight to have, I think. I actually am going to come at that from a completely different perspective, which is I don't think that it's unique for creative talent. I think creative talent often, as it relates to managers, not so much coaches, isn't interested or good at doing the business side of things, which is why we have a job doing what we do. But in terms of needing a coach, I don't think that there's a greater need for a creative person versus a non-creative person. I think everybody's got stuff in their life that they need to 
digest and and understand and everybody has stuff in their professional life that they need to get better at and if they're willing if they're smart enough and willing to approach those things with curiosity and approach those things with a third party who's going to give them some guidance there's so much to be gained i mean you couldn't convince me i don't think anybody could convince me that everybody shouldn't have therapy at some point in their life and that everybody shouldn't have coaching at most points in their life like it's it's just that's that's it for me. I'm so with you, Michael. I, I think that you know, one of the, the insights that I gained from my coach was that we all have gifts and we all have capabilities and we all have less than capabilities, things that just distract us. And a big part of my work today is, is really finding my way to letting go of the stuff that distracts me, finding my way to let go of just the capabilities, things I can do, but I'm not world-class at, that I wasn't put on this earth to do. And putting the majority of my time and a growing majority of my time on the gifts. And I think that that, that applies to everybody. Um, people who wouldn't say I'm a creative person, but like I'm a I'm a, a ninja, you know, financial analyst. It's like, okay, that person should do that. Like right. they're, they're I believe in simplification. To me, that's that's sort of the rule that I live my life by. I try not to overcomplicate things. I stay away from drama in my own head, in the people that I surround myself with. Um, minus me, <laughs> but simplification, I think that's what you're talking about. And that, that's part of the change I was talking about with the arc of a life where when you're young, you feel like you can do everything. You can change everything. Everything's done wrong. You can do it better, but, 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 and as you get older, you realize, you know what? I can't do that thing. And they kind of thought that out pretty well, and it may not be perfect, but I'm not sure that there's a better way to do it. So I'm not going to focus my energy on trying to recreate the wheel here. Let me focus on the things that I can do that I can control, control is the wrong word, but that, that are in my sphere of influence and that I'm proficient at uh, and that I've derived joy from and tune out the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think a part of it honestly is, is removing the narrow definition of creativity, removing the narrow definition of talent and, and treating everyone, um, as a creative resource, as a talent in their own right, as somebody worth nurturing because it's in there. And, it, and, and I think if you treat everyone that way, even if, even if it's not some unique LeBron James-like talent, you're going to get the best out of that person, whatever they do. Yeah. And, right. and I think yeah. that their fulfillment will be the rocket fuel behind whatever they do. And, and I think that, that there's a lot that I love in, in what we're doing and in what you guys do and have written that I think drives to that point. That's the core of the second half of the book is, you know, I, I personally don't think I will ever be 10 X at probably, it, you know, I just don't imagine getting there, but I know I can get closer and I know I can move up the scale. And that was what we were getting at. And that's exactly, I think what you're saying is you may not ever be, you know, perfect or LeBron James, but you can move closer to what, you know, it's, it's like what I said a minute ago, closing the distance between where you are and where you want to be. And that just takes work, time, energy, effort, and it's available. And we don't, we don't, uh, the book is not really about diversity per se, but we talk about the fact that having a diversity of opinions at a company, mm. um, whether it's old, young, you know, 
Jewish, Christian, white, black, it doesn't make a difference. Like you want to have a diversity of opinion for the exact reason that you're talking about, because everybody has a different talent and everybody has a different viewpoint. And if you don't get that full spectrum of viewpoints, you're really limiting yourself to what you know yourself, as opposed to what somebody else can bring to the table. So I'm, I'm right there with you on that. And we have a great story in the book about that, which is an old, old one from college textbooks about um, Chevy naming a car, a very important car in their in their landscape, which they named the Chevy Nova. Now, clearly, there was not a single person in the room who didn't who who spoke Spanish because they would have said that means doesn't go in Spanish. So we probably shouldn't name it name it that. But that's how, that's how it went down. <laughs> Gentlemen, it is it is it is such a pleasure to to work with you, to know you, and I so enjoyed the book and all that we've done together and all that we have to do together. It, it's just a joy. I love you both. And and listeners, check out the book, Game Changer. It's awesome. These guys, 10x Management, 10x Ascend, they're awesome. And um, and uh, keep coming back. Any any final words, gents? Uh, I feel the same way, and I'm really glad we got to do this. There's there's only one thing I'll say, which is we have a quiz. You can take your own 10x quiz to see where you land on that spectrum um, at GameChangerTheBook.com. So check that out. Thanks for joining us for All You Need is a Plan. If you'd like to learn more about what A-Plan Coaching can do for your team or organization, check out our website, aplancoaching.com. Connect with us on social media or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.